Welcome to Talking for the Health of It with Permanente Medicine. I'm James Boyle, health engagement trainer. Today I'm joined by Permanente Medicine physicians Dr. Daniel Albertis and Dr. Farhan Morali to talk about the effects of digital eye strain. Thanks for having us. My name is Daniel Albertis. I'm a board-certified ophthalmologist with the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group. I see members at the Falls Church Kaiser Permanente Medical Center. And I'm Farhan Morali, a board-certified ophthalmologist with the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group. I see patients at the Tyson's Corner Kaiser Permanente Medical Center. Thanks again, uh, both of you, for joining me today. One of the things I wanted to ask you all about is people of all ages are spending more time in front of screens. What kind of impact is that having when it comes to folks' eye health? That's a great question. So I think it depends on the age of the member we're thinking about. You can kind of think about it in different categories. So first category would be, you know, children up through maybe their teenage years. And especially when it comes to screen time for that age group, it's about development of nearsightedness, which we also called myopia. And we know that part of nearsightedness and becoming more myopic or more nearsighted with age through those childhood, through teenage years, is partly genetic and partly environmental. We know that eyes change over time in children through the teenage years. So not how big your eye looks when you look in the mirror, but rather the length of the eye. And we know that the more time you spend with near work, that is doing things up close, you actually become more and more nearsighted. So if you're doing things at arm's length versus just a few inches from your face, there's a stronger driver for that eye to get longer and to become more nearsighted if it's very, very close to your face. In this age group, we also know that a big protector against becoming very nearsighted is uh, spending time outside with being exposed to natural light. There's some debate about whether it's more about the natural light exposure or if it's more about just looking at distance when you're playing outside, but they probably both play some role. If they are going to be inside watching a show, for example, which my kids like to do after they get home from school, I always put it on the TV across the room as opposed to having them watch something on a tablet or a phone. Because when they're looking at TV across the room, that's going to be, you know, 10 or 15 feet away from their eyes as opposed to just a few inches. So and I think that makes a difference in regards to, to driving this nearsightedness or myopia. The reason why it matters whether children become nearsighted is not because they have to wear glasses or contact lenses, but we know that people who are more and more nearsighted are at higher risk for certain eye problems as they get older. People who are very nearsighted are more likely to have retina problems like detached retinas, and they're more likely to have glaucoma as well as uh, earlier onset of cataracts. What about for adults? What impact do these near tasks and screen time have for them? Yeah, that's a great question. So after you hit your 20s uh, through your 30s and 40s and even 50s, your eye doesn't really change shape very much at that point. Your glasses prescription is usually pretty stable. And we know that the, the length of the eye, like I was talking about with children, doesn't increase at that point. However, uh, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, in order to see up close, there's a muscle that is inside your eye that actually physically contracts and changes the shape of the lens in your eye to help with focusing up close. 
And just like any other muscle, if you use that muscle for many, many hours every day, if you're spending a lot of time looking up close at a screen or something else up close, that muscle actually becomes fatigued. And people experience that with a term that we would kind of call digital eye strain. People will feel like their eyes are fatigued or they'll have a headache around their eyes or maybe just kind of behind their eyes. Their eyes feel sore and tired. It really does impact your quality of life. And so the recommendation for, for folks in that in those age groups are to take breaks throughout the day. Look at distance down the hallway or out a window or walk around the block for 15 minutes. When you look at distance, that muscle inside your eye actually relaxes. And that will help with your symptoms of, of feeling headache and fatigued at the end of the day. There's a component of dryness that can, that can occur as well. Uh, we know if you don't blink as much, uh, your eyes tend to dry out. The one common rule that we talk about often is the 20-20-20 rule. So that's every 20 minutes, look at least 20 feet away for 20 seconds. And that allows that muscle inside the eye to relax and will definitely reduce digital eye strain and fatigue as the day goes along. What are you noticing in terms of trends when it comes to seniors in eye health? As you hit up in your 50s, mid 50s, late 50s, that muscle inside the eye can no longer really change the shape of the lens any longer. And that's why uh, folks who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, if they're not naturally nearsighted, tend to wear reading glasses to help with up close focus because that lens no longer can change shape and that muscle no longer contracts in the same way. So they don't get the same kind of headaches and eye strain fatigue that younger people do with prolonged uh, near work, but their eyes still will often get sore and tired because they tend to have more dry eye symptoms. There's also oil glands around the eyes that produce oil to help with natural lubrication and blinking. And those oil glands over time can get blocked and not function as well. And so our major recommendations for older people who have feel like their eyes are dry and tired at the end of the day are to do two things. One is use artificial tears. We definitely recommend avoiding any drop that mentions reducing redness or redness relief. And then the second thing is to put heat on your eyes. So that doesn't mean putting warm water on a washcloth because it cools off too quickly. We recommend either buying a gel bead pack from a pharmacy or actually just putting plain dry rice in a sock or a washcloth and microwaving it for about 30 seconds. That hot rice or the gel bead pack will stay hot about 15 minutes or so and you can massage over your eyes during that period to loosen the oil and melt the oil and liquefy it and that will then come out onto the surface of the eye and provide natural lubrication and can be very effective at relieving the symptoms of dryness. How often should members be checking in with their healthcare team when it comes to their eye health? Exiting the pandemic over the last few years, we also have noticed that members who have known eye problems have often missed eye appointments over the last several years because of fear of, of getting sick when they come to the doctor's office and being advised to stay home except for necessary things. But as we exit the pandemic now, I think it's important for people who have known eye conditions such as macular degeneration or glaucoma, diabetic retinopathy, to go back to see what 
your ophthalmologist or optometrist recommended prior to the pandemic as far as frequency of appointments and get back in and come and see us again because oftentimes these kind of conditions are slowly progressive over time and we can have interventions that can either slow the disease or potentially improve your vision, the right treatments. For someone who has healthy eyes and really no known eye problems, there isn't a need to be seen on an annual basis just for a regular checkup, so to speak. And so if you had an eye exam six months ago or a year ago and you were told that your eyes are healthy and that you're seeing well and your eyes are feeling good and you're not having any new symptoms, you don't necessarily need to come and see one of us or an optometrist here at Kaiser Permanente on an annual basis. Could you talk more about eye strain and what that can feel like, how to identify symptoms for folks who are experiencing eye strain? So people who experience eye strain often will describe that when they wake up in the morning, their eyes feel okay. And then as the afternoon rolls around, they find themselves rubbing their eyes more. They feel like there's a headache above their eyes or behind their eyes. Maybe things are getting a little bit blurry and that tends to kind of worsen as the afternoon goes along. And then through the evening as well, oftentimes people have more headaches and they'll feel progressively worse as the day turns into evening. And they often feel like by the evening time, if they're trying to read before going to bed, they really struggle. And so that's the kind of the typical story that I hear. And I think when I talk to members in the, the Falls Church Center, I tell them about trying to get ahead of it, you know, using teardrops before you have a problem, before your eyes feel bad, taking breaks throughout the day, again, before your eyes feel bad. Another question we commonly get is about blue light and screen brightness and colors and things like that. I can say there's nothing about blue light that is inherently damaging to the eye. The American Academy of Ophthalmology has a statement on this that there's really no evidence for blue light blocking glasses uh, in regards to protecting the eye or helping people's eyes in, in any particular way. However, I will say that many people feel like having the colors on their screen or on their phone be a little bit more in the yellow tint uh, is more comfortable. And it's myself included, you know, in the evening, my, my phone turns to a more of a yellowish tint as opposed to a bluish tint. And I feel like it's more comfortable on my eyes. If it's a comfort and it's a personal choice, I think that's great. But to, if you see advertising about you have to have lenses that block blue light because blue light is harmful or damaging your eyes, there's really no physical reason why that would be the case. When it comes to eye strain, is it something that can get worse or compound over time? It can become more of a problem with more uh, screen time. And I think, you know, again, exiting the pandemic year, three years later, people have spent a lot of time on screens because we were, I think, rightfully told to, you know, avoid public spaces and try to remain at home if at all possible. And that often meant screens. And so after using screens for many years, I think many of us are more used to doing remote work or, or screen time. And I think our eyes probably have paid a little bit of a price on that. And so I encourage people for certainly for young children, but also for adults and older people, you know, get outside and get exposed to some natural light and walk around the block or go on a run or go to the playground. Those kind of things are really good for your mental health and for your emotional health and spiritual health, as well as for your eyes.
You mentioned dry eye as a symptom of eye strain, and I'm wondering if we can bring in Dr. Morali to talk more about what can cause dry eye and, and how to address that. Yeah, thank you for having me. As you mentioned, eye strain and, and dry eye are connected because eye strain is caused by long periods of activity involving eye focus, but there are many other causes of dry eye as well. Currently, between 16 and 49 million Americans have dry eyes. We produce fewer tears as we get older, so age is one factor. Hormonal changes in women, especially after menopause, can lead to dryness, which is why women are disproportionately affected. Illnesses, especially inflammatory conditions such as Sjogren's syndrome, in which patients experience dryness elsewhere, such as their mouth, as well as rheumatoid arthritis, scleroderma, and even diabetes and thyroid problems can all lead to dryness. There's also environmental dryness, such as the use of air conditioning and heating. And going back to the pandemic, spending all this time indoors has kind of exacerbated the problem. Contact lens use can cause dryness. Even certain medications, such as antihistamines, certain heart medications, antidepressants, Parkinson's medications, sleeping pills, and birth control pills and hormone replacement therapy can all cause dry eye. What are some of the symptoms of dry eye? What can that look like? Yeah, so the symptoms of eye strain and dry eye can overlap a bit, but the main symptoms of dryness include a gritty or burning sensation. It can include redness. Sometimes people feel like something is in the eye. Dry eye can even cause watery eyes or excessive tearing, which sounds counterintuitive, but is because your eyes are trying to make extra tears in response to the dryness. However, tears are only one component of your eye's lubrication, um, so without the necessary mucus and lipid or, or fat layers, the tears evaporate or drain quickly, which is why patients can have watery eyes or excessive tearing. For members who are experiencing dry eye, what would you recommend as the first step to deal with that? It's multifactorial, so I would say First, um, before we even talk about treatment, it's good to talk about prevention. And so this includes some of the same strategies that Dr. Albertus talked about, um, such as minimizing screen use and or taking breaks, etc. It can also include environmental modifications, such as the use of a humidifier in your home or office, especially if you are indoors for much of the day. Um, if you have the air conditioning or, or heating running, using eye protection, especially outdoors on windy days, or goggles if you work in a dusty environment. And the eye protection can have a twofold benefit if there is UV protection built in as well. Prevention also includes addressing medical problems that could cause dry eye or talking to your doctor about medications that might be contributing to dry eye to see if there are viable alternatives. And then I would say starting with the warm compresses and use a preservative-free eye drop consistently. If these over-the-counter treatments don't work, then coming to us and, and seeing what else we can help with. 
What are things to look out for when looking for eye drops? What's most effective? Great question. The cornerstone of dry eye treatment is artificial tears, which are over-the-counter lubricating drops to restore the moisture that is lacking. It is important to avoid eye drops that say reduces redness, since chronic use of these can actually make the redness worse. So that is one thing to be careful about. It's also important to use preservative-free formulations, especially if you are finding the need to use drops four or more times a day, since the preservatives, which are in the bottles to prevent the growth of bacteria and molds, um, since the bottles you know, can be used for, for several days or weeks, but these same preservatives can exacerbate the problem. So single-use vials and basically anything that says preservative-free is a better option. If drops alone don't work, using slightly thicker formulations such as a gel drop or even an ointment in the eye at night, especially if you wake up with dry eye or have severe dry eye, can be helpful. Dr. Albertus touched on the warm compresses, which is also very important because it can open up the oil glands in the eyelids and help stabilize the tear film so that the eyes don't dry out as quickly. What other options are available if folks find that over-the-counter treatments aren't working for them? So if these over-the-counter treatments don't work, there are prescription drops that can help tackle dry eye. And these work by reducing the inflammation in the glands that lubricate the eyes and improve the quality and quantity of tears um, that are produced. Tirvaya is a newer medication and is actually a nasal spray that works by increasing the amount of tears you make. There's also dry eye drops called serum tears, which are lubricating drops made from the serum component of a patient's own blood. The serum tears contain growth factors and other nutrients that aren't present in commercially available drops um, that can help with dry eye and even other eye conditions. For example, if someone has an ulcer or a scratch on the eye that isn't healing. And so it has pretty powerful healing properties that can help dry eye and, and these other conditions as well. We kind of escalate treatment based on how the patient is, is doing and their needs. And what sort of resources are available to members uh, around digital eye strain and eye care? Yeah, and I'm happy to jump back in. E-visits are available 24-7 on kp.org. And it walks you through a series of questions to make sure that you don't have an urgent problem that does need an exam right away. The e-visit has been designed to, to give you a lot of really great information about the kind of therapies that we've been talking about today, specifically the taking breaks during work, like I was talking about, and also some of the dry eye therapies that Dr. Morali was talking about. And it also has information about other common eye problems that are not necessarily dangerous. Things like styes or little bumps on the eyelid that are red and inflamed. Things like your eyes are very itchy in the springtime, which is most likely a, a, a allergic conjunctivitis. Or one eye gets very red and irritated and kind of goopy, and you've recently had a cold, that's most likely a, a viral conjunctivitis or what we call a pink eye. So those kind of conditions, and uh, it also has images of, of reference eyes, 
and you can pick an eye that looks like your eye and then answer some questions about the symptoms that you're having. And actually all those are reviewed by a physician and often will get back to you within just a few hours with what they think your symptoms are probably pointing to, as well as information and educational materials that we've helped uh, build out with the health engagement team. And so that's an opportunity to save you time, to save you money about having to come in or, or having someone watch your kids when you need to come to the doctor. The other ongoing project that we have uh, that should be available soon is a vision-specific microsite. So this is basically a website that also includes a lot of the same information that's on the e-visit, as well as information about common eye problems like diabetic retinopathy, cataracts, glaucoma, macular degeneration, those kind of issues that people can develop with age or for other reasons, and what to do about them. And so when that's available, uh, we'll certainly advertise that and make members aware of it and include it in many of our informational packets and things. So members can go at any time and review that information and understand how to end up in the right place for their needs. How can members access the e-visit? Yes. So if you go on kp.org and log in, um, on that home page, there's a few options. And if you click on the e-visit section, we have one now for eye problems. And so that will guide you through those set of questions like I discussed. It also gives you information if you just need to know what your glasses prescription was from a few months ago when you lost the printout or forgot where it is. And it can also give you an opportunity to schedule an appointment to buy glasses uh, at our Vision Essentials uh, offices at many uh, of our medical office buildings. Well, thank you, Dr. Albertus, and thank you, Dr. Morali, for joining us today. It was our pleasure. Thanks so much for having us. And thank you all for listening. We hope you check back in with us for future episodes on wellness topics and specials covering specific areas of health. This has been Talking for the Health of It, and we'll talk to you next time.